Hello and welcome to Weeds in the Wild. I am Sarah Cliff and this is our occasional pop-up podcast about how policy affects actual real-life people. Today, the people we are talking about are people who rely on birth control, which I imagine is a number of you, our listeners. Enjoy the episode. Tell us what you think about it. We would love to hear feedback at weedsatvox.com. Also, share your thoughts about the policies we talk about in this episode in our new Facebook group. Just go on Facebook, search for The Weeds. And with that, we will start the episode by introducing you to a very special new friend I made in this reporting process. This is Joan. This is our new friend, Joan. Joan is a pelvic stimulator, which... um, Stimulator? (laughs) Stimulator. Basically, it appears to be a um, replica vagina and cervical system. And I'm going to try and insert an IUD. I met the delightful Joan at an event a few months ago in Delaware that was training clinics to give women long-acting contraception, like IUDs or implants. The use of this type of birth control has increased 6,000% in the United States since 2002. It's just a really staggering change. And it's the result of very specific policy choices made in Washington and in state houses. These policies have reduced the teen pregnancy rate. They have cut the abortion rate. But they're also at risk right now. And today we're going to tell you about them, how they came to be, what they do, and why at this very moment they are facing a lot of threats. To understand why programs like this even exist, there are some basic facts about birth control you need to understand, mostly why some types of birth control work better than others. We talked to a young woman named Krista whose story illustrates this idea really well. Krista's mom doesn't know she's using birth control, so we said we wouldn't use her last name. I come from a really religious family. Krista is 20. She lives in Delaware, where she goes to college. And because she grew up Pentecostal, she used to wear skirts to school every day. I always had to find a way to just make them different. I would never have a high split, but I would have, like, the split. I would make splits in my skirts and stuff like that. All that tinkering she did with her skirts, it made her fall in love with fashion. And now she is getting a degree in textiles. Minoring in business as well. Krista has a lot going on in her life. She does not want a baby right now. It it will really fudge things up. (laughs) But two years ago, she started having sex with her boyfriend. And we were using, like, the standard protection. We used condoms. And it was like, okay, yeah, it's working. But, you know, I'm no fool. Condoms are not foolproof. Anything could happen. So Krista started taking birth control pills, which was fine for a few years until last winter, around the end of the semester. I had all these semester projects do, like, you know, semester-long projects that you don't do until the end of the semester, even though they're a semester-long project. Plus, she had this job at a store at nights, and she had so much going on that she was not keeping good track of her birth control pills. I'd be at work like, oh, shoot, I forgot to take my pill. Okay, yeah, I'll take it. When I get a break, I'm going to walk outside real quick when, you know, no customers are here. Get rushed, and then it's 9 o'clock at night, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to take it again. It's not the end of the world if you forget the pill once or twice. But then when I look back at the month, I'm just like, okay, too many days, it was late, too many days, I took the next day. Krista started worrying that she might be pregnant. I couldn't sleep because I was so bugged by the situation. Even though Krista doesn't wear those skirts she used to, and she is okay with sex before marriage, there is this one thing she's really firm on. I don't believe in abortions. It turns out Krista was not pregnant, but she was scared and she didn't want to leave this to chance anymore. So she went to this local clinic for a new kind of birth control. One that's really efficient, that doesn't depend on you because, you know, people are not perfect at all. 
When patients come in and they want to talk about birth control with me, I usually give them a rundown in terms of efficacy because that, to me, is the most important question. This is Jennifer Conti, and she talks to a lot of women about birth control at her clinic at Stanford University. And she says that far and away, the most effective birth control is something called LARCs. That is the kind of terrible acronym for long-acting reversible contraceptives. There are a few different kinds, but what they have in common is that you put them in once and they will last for a few months or even for a few years. You're removing the user error. You're taking out the possibility of someone forgetting to take their method or um, using it incorrectly because it's out of sight and out of mind. There are a few different types of birth control that count as LARCs. You have implants, you have intrauterine devices, those are called IUDs, and you have injections of birth control. It would be impossible to say this is the one best method for everyone. Krista decided to get an implant. It's this thing that goes in your arm, maybe like an inch or so long and really skinny, about like the width of a spaghetti noodle or so. It's like a little flexible bar and you can actually feel it being flexible in your arm, like if you push your skin in. And then over three years, it slowly releases a hormone that helps to stop the ovaries from releasing an egg, which would eventually get you pregnant. I touch it just to reassure myself it's still there, just to be like, you know, nothing crazy happens. A few years ago, Krista might not have been able to get an implant. They are really expensive, like over $500. And clinicians, they need training to put this little spaghetti noodle device into your arm. But lucky for Krista, some new laws passed. It really started with this one particular policy that you near certainly already know about. The Affordable Care Act passed both houses of Congress. I signed it into law. The Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, included this requirement that all women have access to preventative health benefits. The Obama administration had to decide what is a preventative health benefit, and they said birth control definitely counts. We decided to follow the judgment of the nation's leading medical experts and make sure that free preventive care includes access to free contraceptive care. So all of a sudden, LARCs were really affordable. But doctors and nurses didn't always know how to actually put them in, how to get them in your arm or in your uterus. You want to be careful with those parts of the body. And clinics didn't always have the time to train their staff to do it. But in Colorado, there was this new program called the Colorado Family Planning Initiative that gave clinics across the state the training that they needed. That, combined with the new affordable cost of LARCs, had really impressive results. The results? A dramatic drop in teen pregnancy, down 40% since the state program started in 2009. Colorado's abortion rate also down more than 40%. That was just unprecedented, never heard of. This is Susan Buchanan. She runs a reproductive health clinic in Colorado that got trained. And she has seen a huge drop in unintended pregnancies among her patients. We've actually had to kind of rethink how we can maintain our patient numbers because a lot of them don't have to come back for three to five years. Buchanan's clinic does provide abortions, but ever since this program started, they've been doing way fewer of those. And they've started to shift their attention to other issues like sexual health in the gay and lesbian community to make sure they can keep up their patient numbers. It's a game changer. 
It's absolutely a game changer. And all of this game changing, it actually led to the creation of a new national nonprofit called Upstream. But yes, a warm welcome from just, just our entire team here at Upstream. My name is Venus Jones, and I'm the lead trainer for our Delaware team. The people who founded Upstream, they kind of looked at what was happening in Colorado and said, this is really great. We should see if it works in another state. Their first target, the great state of Delaware. We're doing work here in Delaware and also around the country to reduce unintended pregnancy by increasing access to contraception, particularly the most effective forms, the IUDs and implants. Venus Jones is standing in front of this group of maybe two dozen people who work at the birth center, a Delaware clinic that delivers babies and does reproductive health. It's the clinicians, the nurses, the front desk people, the whole staff is there. And we all know that unintended pregnancy has far-reaching consequences. Right. They are in this kind of weird refurbished bank building for a full day of training. And after the introductory session, the doctors and nurses get pulled into a separate room. It is set up with all these tables of model uteruses and vaginas. And there are these two suitcase-sized mechanical vaginas in the back. This is Joan. This is our new friend Joan. Which is how I met Joan, the robotic pelvis. Karen Antel, who was the instructor that day, was helping me get to know all the tools inserted inside her. It almost looks like a duck bill, is how I think of it, like an open duck mouth. (laughs) That's inside the vagina right now. And then we also have a tenaculum, which almost looks like a pair of um, scissors, like it has those little holes on the end, Um, except it's more of like a clamp on the end. And that is holding on to the cervix. cervix. Gently. Gently. Gently insert a uterine sound to check the patency of the cervix. So I am sitting there in front of Joan with this red T-shaped IUD. Its little T-arms are folded into a white tube. And I, like the clinicians, I am learning how to insert the IUD into the cervix and then the uterus and press a little button to let it go and live its happy life in a uterus. I can't get it in. What's up, Joan? <laughs> Every time I did something wrong, the simulation pelvis, it would just groan in pain. Oh, I did it. Oh. <gasps> okay, for the record, Karen is horrified at what I've just done to the cervix. It is really, really hard, and I am obviously a reporter, not a doctor. The people who are actually being trained have way more medical background than I do. But it is still a lot better for them to practice on a robot than, you know, a patient named Joan instead. And then there's the rest of the clinic staff. In the room next door, Venus is doing this Q&A with them about implants and IUDs. There is this one woman, Jasmine Williams, who has a lot of questions. Like I've seen on the internet how some people, they said like it'll get pushed further back, like they'll have a bruise. Like how does that happen? Like what would they still- Jasmine like is 23, she's a med tech. She kind of helps out the doctors who are working at this birthing center. And she is exactly the kind of staffer that Upstream wants to target with this training. She interacts with patients all the time, and if she has some mistaken information, she could pass it on to them. You know, that's a myth that it's like traveling around my arm and I don't know where it is and it's going to cause some kind of infection. You know, so to being able to explain that to our patients, you know, and giving them the medically accurate information will help kind of dispel those myths. Hopefully. Jasmine is incredibly talkative. She is so personable, and one of the reasons she seems to be really good at her job is she can relate really well to the young moms at the clinic. I got pregnant two months after I graduated high school. Um, It was not planned. (laughs) Jasmine also knows that birth control can be really confusing. 
She remembers her doctor put her on one form of birth control without really telling her the side effects or giving her other options. It was more like, if you're going to breastfeed, this is what you should get. And she didn't have much help when she experienced some pretty bad side effects. I'm having, you know, a spotting and periods and I'm calling and there's nothing that y'all could do or tell me. Upstream is trying to teach clinics all across Delaware how to give patients a totally different experience. They're hoping that staff actually know the answer to questions, so people like Jasmine don't have such a terrible experience. One way they're trying to teach that is through role-playing games. All right, I guess Team Numering wants to go next. All right, Team Numering. The staff is split up into different teams to explain different types of birth control. Team Nuvering, that's the vaginal birth control ring, is Jasmine and two of her coworkers, Katie and Tammy. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm your midwife. Hi, I'm Jasmine, and this is my husband, Clifford. <laughs> they are having a lot of fun running through what a patient might experience in their birth control conversation. I have been on the pill, and I've been having so many issues. I've just, I forgot to take it, and he doesn't like condoms. Well, you try it. They go back and forth as imaginary husband and wife with Jasmine talking about how she likes the hormones in the pill, but she doesn't like taking it every day and doesn't want to get pregnant right now. And finally, Katie, the counselor, she suggests a birth control ring. So once a month, all you do is you take that flexible ring and you insert it in your vagina. They go through each contraceptive, talking about the pros, the side effects, how they would be inserted. And we talked to Jasmine at the end of the day. She felt like she had learned some things that weren't just for her job, were actually for her, too. Um, I think I would probably think about the IUD, actually, when you could just easily take it out, or even the ring. I found that the ring is very, you can do that yourself. We are going to take a quick break and be back shortly to tell you about some of the policies behind this. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They have established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. Cooking together, it's really nice. Um, you know, I just got married a few weeks ago. I really enjoy cooking with my husband. And research shows that Blue Apron families, they cook together more often. Um, they have some great meals coming up for you guys. There is the spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers and ricotta salada, the baby broccoli and fontina paninis with a hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. It is a really nice service to have because it's really affordable. It is way more affordable than eating out. The meals are just $10 each. Um, they're pre-portioned, so you know exactly what you're getting. A lot of variety, you know, everything from Italian to I really like their Japanese meals. So if you want to sign up, you should check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com weeds. You will love how good it feels and how it tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash weeds. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. The Delaware experiment has only been running for a year. We don't really have results yet, but given what happened in Colorado, they're expecting some big declines in teen pregnancy, big drops in abortions, and they're talking to other states right now that want to do the same kind of program. They are really thinking about the future. Tonight at 10, the future of health care. What's next? We don't know what's going to happen on health care. Funding for reproductive health care is a major concern.
yeah, the future of healthcare is very uncertain right now. And the work that Upstream does, it depends on a lot of federal policies that Republicans want to get rid of. I'd like to talk to you about Title X family planning. This is Nita Lowy. She's a Democratic congresswoman from New York. And she is questioning Tom Price, who is President Trump's Health and Human Services Secretary. She's asking him about this program called Title X. This is a federal program that gets about $300 million every year and sends them to clinics to help low-income women get birth control. And a lot of those Delaware clinics being trained, they rely on Title X funds to provide birth control to women who still don't have health insurance. As you know, Title X funded health care providers serve more than 4 million low-income women and men every year, offering contraceptive counseling and services. Mr. Secretary, does your FY 2018 budget maintain funding for the Title X family planning program? These areas are really important because oftentimes, as you mentioned, it's the, in, an individual's only line of opportunity to gain access to the kind of care that they need. This exchange goes on for a while, but essentially Secretary Price doesn't answer the question. And Representative Lowy, she keeps pushing him on it. So is funding for Title X providers included in your budget? Well, the, the, the ongoing conversations, and I appreciate your input and look forward to having those conversations. I'm not sure I got an answer to this question. Representative Lowy did not get an answer to her question, but we generally know how Republicans feel about Title X. They voted to defund it entirely in 2011, but President Obama vetoed that bill. Now there is a bill on President Trump's desk that would cut Planned Parenthood out of Title X. It just passed through Congress a few weeks ago. And if Title X is not in the 2018 budget, that would make it a lot harder for 4 million women to get birth control. And then there is that birth control mandate that we mentioned earlier, that Obama regulation that says all insurers have to cover 18 different types of contraceptives. Are women going to have to return to paying out of pocket for contraceptive? This is, again, one of those areas where we believe that individuals ought to have access to the kind of coverage that they want, not that the government forces them to buy. This was another really long exchange, another non-answer. We just don't know right now if the Trump administration is going to keep Obamacare's birth control mandate. Those are the threats here in Washington. But there are threats out elsewhere in the country, too. Remember that Colorado program, the one that had those great results that got national news coverage? A dramatic drop in teen pregnancy, down 40% since the state program started in 2009. Colorado's abortion rate also down. Some Republican legislators in Colorado want to make sure that that program loses its funding this year. We have an obligation to not intentionally stop life from existing, even if it's just in the first few days of existence. This is Colorado State Senator Kevin Lundberg, who we interviewed a few months ago. He's on the committee that controls the state budget, and he really wants to end the state's program that funds IUDs and implants. He says that you can't be sure IUDs aren't causing abortions. If, if you choose uh, an abortifacient at the bare minimum, it should not be at the expense of the Colorado taxpayer. There's a word he uses there that you might not hear a lot, abortifacient. It often is used by people who oppose abortion to talk about different things that would cause a pregnancy to terminate. Jennifer Conti, the clinic professor, helped us understand a little bit more about what he meant. It has to do with the science of how IUDs work. For example, there is the hormonal IUD. It makes like a plug. It plugs the cervix up so that the sperm 
can't get in as well and meet the egg. There is also the copper IUD. Something with the copper in the IUD makes it so the sperm can't swim as well. In both cases, all the research we have say it's very probable that the sperm is not reaching the egg or fertilizing it. That's a good way to say it. It is very probably how this works. But very probable just isn't good enough for Senator Lundberg. He is an adamant abortion opponent And he is worried there is still a chance that a sperm could get to the egg. In that case, the IUD could possibly be keeping the fertilized egg from implanting on the uterus and growing. I haven't seen the evidence to the contrary yet. If somebody can send me a study that gives me 100% assurity, then I'm, I'm very happy to change my mind. The problem with anything in medicine is that you can't say 100% because that's just how science is, right? You think a certain thing, you believe a certain way until you're proven wrong through, through new studies. So there is basically no way to give Senator Lundberg the reassurance that he wants. Now, legally, preventing a fertilized egg from planting itself in the uterus is not an abortion, but that is where Senator Lundberg draws the line personally, and he plans to try and end the Colorado program this year. I know I have a lot more opportunity to have some effect being on this joint budget committee. He wants to shift the funding elsewhere. I think of a, a, a group here in Colorado called Life Choices, and they provide education training in a lot of schools to teens. It, it largely revolves around the, uh, the concept of abstinence. But for Krista, that college student from Delaware, A healthier life choice involves having an implant. She knows what the other options look like. So my mom got married at 17 years old, never used birth control one time in her life, had four kids, you know, happy family, happy life, things like that. And it worked out for her, but that's not everybody's path. Like, you know, and I believe like God pisses on our path. Krista still thinks of herself as a devoted Christian, but she is also not going to stop having sex with her boyfriend. I understand why it's a contradiction, you know, I understand how the Bible speaks against it and things like that, but at the same time, like, I understand our human side. For her, the implant is a way to actually maintain her religious beliefs. I would feel so much worse if I ever had to sit and be like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to get an abortion. Like, that is a crazy thought to me. There are a lot of young women across the country like Krista who are in high school or college or recent graduates who have plans that just don't involve babies right now. If the program in Delaware or Colorado or other ones we haven't even talked about elsewhere in the country lose funding, then it'll be a lot harder for those women to plan for their futures. We know for sure that these programs reduce teen pregnancy and they reduce abortion. We don't know how much longer they'll stick around. That was another episode of Weeds in the Wild. Thank you so much to our producer, Bird Pinkerton, who went on this adventure to Delaware with me, to our editor, Nishat Kurwa, our engineer, Peter Leonard. Tell us what you think. We would love, love, love to hear your feedback at weeds at vox.com. Give us a rating on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And we will see you sometime in the near future for another Weeds in the Wild. <laughs>